Thank you for downloading this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We pray that you receive encouragement from the study of God's Holy Word and that you will grow in the faith and understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Great to see you. Happy Sunday. Uh, let me just make sure all my power buttons are on. Okay, so we have a lot of ground to cover this morning, so I'm going to be going kind of fast. Hopefully you can, like, not get lost at a thought and I make to a couple more points. So I love reading the scriptures and uh, just seeing what emerges out of those scriptures and uh, just how the Holy Spirit tailors the messages to me just in my daily reading and so on. So John the Baptist is something we've been looking at over a period of weeks at home group. And if you uh, attend our home group, you're going to see uh, some information you've seen before. You get to see it a second time. It will be covering some new ground as well. And it's been really interesting. This is not meant to be all inclusive by any stretch, uh, but just some very, very cool things that we can learn from John the Baptist. I want to cover, you know, three legs of that today. Let's see which hand that I practice with. Okay. All right, so the first one, we're going to read a scripture in Isaiah chapter 40. And this is the one that's very familiar in most of the New Testament Gospels that we read, the account of John the Baptist. So this is Isaiah 40, starting at verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. So make straight a desert in the highway. And what that was referring to in the culture was when people of great wealth or politicians and kings and queens, when they would travel through the desert, I want you to see the desert. I'll put my next scripture up there. So if, if you could picture a desert with the sand dew, they would actually send out harbingers ahead of them, not only to announce their passage and arrival, but they would also uh, level out a road for them on which to travel. So it wasn't always so much about making a crooked road straight, but <clears throat> filling in the depths and taking down the tall sand dunes to make a straight road for them to travel. So that's, that's what was going on there, straightening of the road. So we read these things, we'd like, so how does this speak to us today? What's the practical application for us? So we know that um, in the scriptures, a metaphor for our life is the path that we walk on, right? The road that we walk on. The path we choose is a way of saying uh, the path I choose to live. In Psalm 16, you will show me the path of life as an example. And in this scripture in Nehemiah, uh, you led them by day with a cl uh, cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road in which they should travel. And the Hebrew word there for the road is actually a trodden road, meaning a course of life or a course of action. And that's the same word that we read in that uh, scripture in Isaiah, prepare the ways, prepare the road. So we're exhorted to prepare the road for the Lord, and we can see that the road is speaking of our lives. So we're to prepare, prepare our lives for the Lord. So then and that naturally leads to that, how do we do that? So that's by straightening out the road that is filling in where there's lack, where there's void, where there's need, or maybe taking down something that's in the way of passage, right? A road, a life in which the Lord can make his way and have his way without hinder or obstacle. So we, we, we talked about this at home group, and I'm just going to give you a quick little uh, graph of what we, things that we could take away 
You know, like the high things, the obstacles, just a quick list. And as you would ask God in your own time, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to show you that thing that you should maybe do less of or take away. And then on the ad side, we have, you know, we heard that in, in prophecy, prophecy this morning about scripture reading and time spent in prayer to add that. Certainly tithing, if you're not tithing, to some of these random, right? Water baptism we have coming up in church. Holy Spirit baptism, if that's something that you've not experienced yet and received, that's definitely something to add uh, to your life. Fasting more, we have a church fast coming up uh, in, the, in the spring here. So uh, just some, some thoughts of things to add or take away uh, to prepare the way of the Lord to make his path straight. Okay, so that's the first leg, right? Learn from John the Baptist, prepare the way of the Lord. All right, so the next section we're going to read in ch uh, chapter 3 of Matthew, and it reads, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Ju Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. So he was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt. And I, as I'm picking through this, I'm like, you know, what? Why is that significant? But why does what John wears, why is that significant? Why is it even recorded for what he wears for his clothing? So there's some reasons. In 2 Kings, it says he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist, and he said, he is Elijah the Tishbite. So John was dressed like Elijah. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus speaking of John, he says, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah to come. In Luke chapter one, this is verse 17, this is actually the angel speaking to John's dad before John was born about how he would go before Jesus. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. So in his personality and his ministry, John the Baptist was patterned after Elijah. He was very bold. He called, called Israel to repentance, just as Elijah did. John, like Elijah, spoke against the accepted culture of the day. He called out the religious leaders on their hypocrisy. He was a loner. He lived his life consecrated to God. And as Israel saw him dressed that way and his manner of life and so on, they you know, and, and the prophecies and so on of him, they knew he was the Elijah to come. So John's clothing was indicative of his personality and his ministry. So John, I want to come up here and get ready. So John is going to help me with a little object lesson here. Uh, we did this at Home Group too. We kind of shared some different items of clothing and some different things that sort of uh, represented. So just real quick, if you want to just think, why don't you come out of all the way up here? Don't show it just yet though. So we talked about some of the practical aspects of clothing, naturally modesty and and protection, warmth. Uh, for job-related things, we wear certain clothes. Uh, style comes into play at different times, sometimes our personality. Uh, clothing is something we choose to put on every day. Sometimes clothing is something we choose to put on multiple times in a day, depending on what we're going to engage in, right? And uh, so we, we, we spend some time sharing about some different things, and so I'll turn it over to you. You don't have your microphone. I'll take one side. Is this on? Okay. And people think I can't speak loud, but I can't. Right. <laughs> Deanna actually couldn't be there at home group that night. We tried to do this. Uh, 
We don't want it to touch the floor. It's I don't think the floor is dirty. I'm just saying. Okay, real quick. All right, so um, good morning. My name is Deanna, as Mark said. And so I couldn't go to a home group that day, but I was there via video. <laughs> and so I uh, share my blanket, which is a quote I had made several years ago. So I participated in a, as a youth sponsor for our youth group for many years. And a youth sponsor is just someone there who was extra eyes at- um, Swearing at church. Yeah, it was not swearing. <laughs> so um, I had this quote made because uh, each year we went on a trip we had a t-shirt made that kind of represented what we did and to really be our battle cry also some, some of these shirts are uh, strengthening which is was a ministry my husband was involved in so I had all of these shirts put into a quilt because they reminded me of the impact I made when I was intentionally investing others but also the impact that people made on me and my journey throughout grace and uh, my relationship with Christ so each one of these shirts are very meaningful and I have memories and uh, things that um, I was impacted by on those trips and things I learned and that God always covers us and protects us. So um, this is my shirt and I, every time I use it, I remember it and it's also a good story for individuals who see it because it's an opportunity for me to share um, what we do, what my husband does. And the person who made it wasn't necessarily a Christian, so that was an opportunity to witness to them. And she actually added uh, for other things, that was a surprise. She added the, this red one up here that says redemption. She added one that says purity, healing, and renewal. So those are things that I remember when I use this. Very cool. Thank you. Awesome. I like the not a pansy one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Very, very cool. Okay, so uh, turn some pages. So. Suffice to say that the clothing we wear, it's like what's happening in our lives. It's like what we're about, right? That's kind of the whole point there. Okay, so uh, I decided to look at what the scriptures say about clothing. I thought I'll just dabble in that, experiment with that. And as how often happens, I found like a ton more in there than I thought there would be. So we're gonna breeze through uh, just some of these real, real fast, uh, just to further solidify just that concept of how clothing uh, as part of our life. There were scriptures with natural references to clothing, of course, but there were many with uh, correlations and implications to emotion and also to character, good character and bad character. So we're going to hit these real, real fast. This is First Chronicles. Uh, David lifted his eyes, saw the angel of the Lord, and he had his hand drawn and stretched out over Jerusalem. So David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell on their knees. So here being clothed in sackcloth is representing humility and repentance. Then David said, gird yourselves with sackcloth and mourn. So sackcloth there, mourning and sadness and grief. You've turned from me my mourning into dancing and put off my sackcloth, clothe me with gladness. Clothed in gladness. Those who hate you will be clothed in shame. Beware of false prophets that come in sheep's clothing, right? Uh, false and deceptive character, if you will. The drunkard and glutton will come to poverty. Drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Priorities and pleasure leads to poverty. The Proverbs 31 woman, strength and honor are her clothing. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. And we know that as New Testament believers, we are kings and priests. 
and that we are to make that decision to, to put on that clothing, that righteousness, to choose to wear it, even as Job says here, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. Then in 1 Peter, likewise you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, and the rest is very familiar. Be clothed with humility. We're to be submissive, humble toward one another, to put it on, to be clothed with humility. So John, clothed in camel's hair and the leather belt, his, his clothing indicated who he was and what he was about, his character, his passion, his zeal for life. For us, the question we ask ourselves is, what clothing do we put on each day? What character do we choose to wear that represents what we're all about? And we should strive to be clothed with the righteousness that comes from trusting in and following the Lord, clothed with strength and honor, clothed with hard work and perseverance, with humility. That's the clothing we should wear, the clothing of character that we should wear. Just as John's clothing was telling of his character and calling, may the clothing of our character appropriately represent the Lord in our life. All right, so that's number two. The second thing to learn from John the Baptist. This next one, as I was going through the scriptures, was a real surprise to me. And it led down a hundred rabbit trails, and I tried to get rid of most of them. So uh, we're going to read from John chapter 3. And, and what's going on here now is Jesus' ministry is underway uh, and, and kind of coinciding with John's. Jesus has changed the water into wine, and he's talked with Nicodemus. And uh, Jesus' ministry is really... You know, well underway here. So this is John chapter 3. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Jesus is baptizing. Now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem, if I'm saying that right, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had yet, hadn't been thrown into prison yet. So now John is baptizing. So Jesus is baptizing, John is baptizing also at the same time. Very important to understand that that's all happening at the same time. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. So I did some digging into this one, and I was never really able to nail down exactly what the dispute was. But we don't understand that there was a dispute over something going on. That's what we need to remember here. There was a dispute going on. And they came to John. So John's disciples come to him now. And they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. So where it reads, all are coming to him, we know that that actually was not accurate. Because we just read a few verses earlier in verse 23 that Jesus' baptism ministry was still well underway. All indications are that it was going very, very strong yet at that time. But that John's disciples are seeing people start to come to Jesus, and it kind of bothers them, right? Um, when it says everyone's coming to him, that was a, like a persuasive exaggeration. So what did you call that, Janet? An hyperbole. Huh? Hi. Hyperbole. That's why I didn't try to say it. So it's an exaggeration to try to get someone to see things your way, right? So uh, young Burford wants the new designer tennis shoes from mom and dad. He says, mom, you got to give me those shoes. Everyone's wearing them. 
Right? So kind of a figure of speech like that. Janet and I were just talking yesterday after supper. She was reading her bird magazine to be saying how you shouldn't feed bread to the birds. I was like, well, we used to do it you know, quite a bit. And she's like, feed bread to the birds? I said, yeah, everyone did that. You know, it's just a figure of speech to make a point, right? So that's kind of what's going on there. Everyone's going to him. So we've got to step back and look at what's happening here between John's disciples and what's happening in Jesus. There is a disagreement. There's a dispute over some point, And there's sort of two groups forming. There's like two camps. People are aligning themselves with one or the other. And John's disciples are feeling maybe a little threatened, a little uneasy, somehow insecure about people going to Jesus in the new... Uh, New Living Translation, verse 26 reads, everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. And we can just see the interaction going on. And sometimes this happens. People choose sides and align themselves with a person or a camp. And sometimes we choose sides when we don't need to. Now, sometimes we need to. Sometimes there's a place for being separate and choosing a side. Another message for another day. But here in chapter 3, as John's interacting with his disciples, this is not the time for choosing sides. Apostle Paul spoke to this very idea here. I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together. For I'm hearing that there are contentions among you, and that some of you are saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. Paul explains there's no need for that. There's no need to align ourselves to a person or a camp as long as the gospel is advancing. We're on the same team. And we need to hear that today because we fall into that sometimes, sometimes unwittingly, but we'll fall into aligning ourselves with a group. But as long as it's about communicating the escape from God's wrath, from receiving and following Jesus, as long as it's about that, there's no need to feel threatened when we don't agree on every little thing. And as long as the kingdom of God is being sought to be advancing there, we don't need to feel bad or threatened. Just remember, we're on the same team. Which leads us to John's response to his disciples. So in this response, he refers to himself as the friend of the bridegroom, right? And that person in the culture was called the paranymph. And that was a personal servant assigned to the bride and to the, the bridegroom. So I assume that's where we got our custom today of the best man and the bridesmaid. And the person was a personal servant through the whole wedding process and for a period after. So when John says he is the friend of the bridegroom, that means he is the servant of the groom. And just one other little aside before reading this. At this point in time, as John is about to answer, so they're, they're coming to him with, this is happening over here, and look what's happening, and there's this aligning of groups. John has the opportunity to fall in with that us and them mentality, doesn't he? He could have gone along with what they were saying, but he didn't. So instead, he just lovingly redirects, and he gives us a great example at the same time. So here's his answer. John answered and said, this is 27 to 29, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. And you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. 
He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom. He stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He's saying, I have my calling, my ministry from God. Jesus has his calling and his ministry. My place is as the parent, the servant, the servant of the groom, the servant of Jesus. My job was to go before him, and I've done that. And now he's here. Therefore, and then he reads verse 30, the, the capping off of this, this point he's making them. He sets them straight on how to think. And he gives us this great example, a very familiar, simple verse. He must increase, but I must decrease. How basic and simple is that? And yet, let's look at a couple of these words and see what a depth there is. So he, as an obvious reference to, to Jesus, but as follows of the Lord, the implications of that in our life go way beyond that. So if we're his followers, to say he must increase means his motives, his thought, his heart, his ways, his will have to increase in our life. He must increase. Must there means it's a logical necessity. It has to happen. It's essential. He must increase to grow and become greater, to wax. And if we think of the moon, when the moon is waning, it's, it's diminishing in intensity and in strength. But when it's waxing, it's fuller and brighter. And we know that that happens over a period of time. So when John said he must increase, he was saying it wouldn't happen overnight. He was saying it would happen over time in a gradual, steady process. And that's what we need to understand. He must increase in our lives in that gradual, steady way. And we heard that referenced also in Prophecy this morning. The process, the process that God is putting us through. So John says he must increase, but just as important, I must decrease. And like, whatever does that mean? I must decrease. So if Jesus is here and John the Baptist is here, or Jesus is here and you and I are here on this side of the relationship, if all these things on this side that needed to increase, on this side, those things need to diminish and decrease. So my will, my ways, my agenda, my thoughts, my motives, and so on. Those are the things that need to, to decrease. I have that one up there. Okay, so then the must decrease part, uh, John meant it to mean that he was going to decrease in authority and in popularity. His, his ministry would begin to fade to the background. The phrase actually means to lessen in rank, to be made less or inferior. Very simple, I must lessen. He must increase, but I must decrease. If we commit to that process, God can do amazing things in our life, and we'll see his kingdom advance for sure. So let's learn from John the Baptist. We talked about three things. Prepare the way of the Lord. Add things to our life where things are lacking. Take down those obstacles. Do less of those things that are hindering us from moving forward in God and from him having his full way in our life. And we're to put on character befitting the gospel. As John wore his clothes that represented his life and calling, so should we wear that character. 
and to make it our mantra, he must increase, I must decrease. John the Baptist. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, John the Baptist was this mighty, aggressive, like crazy man, you know, we picture in the deserts, and yet he was so humble, and he knew his place, and he had such faith and such devotion and zeal to fulfilling the call you put on his life. And may we emulate that, God, and do the things that would allow you to have your way in greater measure in our lives. And may we just be aware of the character that we exhibit to our spouses and to our kids and to our coworkers and our friends at, at school, to our brethren in this family. May we be aware of the character that we put on every day and be intentional about wearing godly character. And may we be patient with the process, Lord, as you put us through that process. Help us to grasp it, that you would increase in our lives and that we would decrease. Help us to all to learn of these things, O oh God, to follow you in ever greater measure. God, we're grateful for what you are doing in this camp, in this house, and we zealously follow you and cry out, lead us very clearly so we can accomplish your will. In Jesus' name. All rise, please, please for the ironic blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Amen, everyone. Thank you again for downloading and listening to this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We are located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And if you are looking for a church to call home or would like to visit us for one of our services, please visit our site at gracecf.us for our location and service times. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.